Greetings, listeners. I hope you're doing great. Today, it's just me, Blake Montgomery, and I'll be talking EdTech Shop and to Grace Lau, Director of Virtual Reality at Global Nomads, a company that facilitates virtual exchanges between students in the U.S. and other countries. Let's step back and take a look at virtual reality. It's a technology of potential. So much potential, in fact, that in many ways it seems to be only potential. We've all seen pictures of wrapped viewers in Oculus headsets or Google Cardboards, but widespread distribution is still a distant prospect. Very few people know what virtual reality can actually do yet, what it's really capable of, but a lot of people are passionately excited about that MacGuffin that is the ultimate VR experience. I was at South by Southwest EDU watching teachers say they were more than ready to integrate VR into their classrooms. Of the teachers that I did talk to, I asked them what they would teach. They said they would figure it out. To me, that seems a little silly. Why bring in a shiny, expensive technology just to figure it out? But I, I don't think teachers are alone. Movies have yet to catch up with VR technology across the board, not just in education. So today, I talked to a person using VR who I think put a great deal of thought into why. The Global Nomads is about to launch a VR initiative where students can digitally relocate. Grace Lau believes, as many do, in the power of VR to create empathy. And let me know on Twitter if you agree. I'm a little bit skeptical about the empathy argument, but I'm really, really interested. And please don't forget, if you haven't taken the EdSurge podcast survey yet, I'd really love it if you would. Go to bit.ly.edsurgeonair. That's bit.ly slash edsurgeonair, like the name of the show. Thanks for listening, and let's get to the news. Arnie Duncan needs to update his LinkedIn again. The former U.S. Education Secretary is among the new board additions to Pluralsight a Utah-based online education startup that offers training on technical and business skills. Quote, the idea that learning stops at 22, that's a death sentence today, Duncan told Fast Company. This is the first board seat for Duncan, now a managing partner at Emerson Collective. The University of Calgary has been the victim of a ransomware attack, forking over $16,000 to recover critical research data. Some say paying ransom will only encourage more attacks, but Linda Dalgetty, a vice president at Calgary, tells the Canadian publication Globe and Mail that the act was necessary in this case. Quote, the last thing we want to do is lose someone's life's work. Seems that Rhineland is a fine land for nanodegrees. Udacity has begun operations in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. The nanodegree provider, aided by German publisher Bertelsmann, is seeing rapid growth in those areas because of the need for technical workers in the automotive and banking industries. Though technical industries still dominate Udacity's business, co-founder Sebastian Thrun sees a focus on other industries in the near future. For educator fans of Minecraft, the wait is over. After testing a beta version of the game in May, Microsoft released Minecraft Education Edition on June 9th for educators to install and try for free during the summer. All the technology that schools are buying to help students won't make a difference if the kids aren't coming to school. 
According to data recently released by the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, 6.5 million, that's 13%, of all U.S. students were absent from school for 15 or more days during 2013 and 14 school year. The report also highlights other troubling trends, like the fact that black preschool children are 3.6 times more likely to be suspended than their white peers. There's a new Amplify spin-off in town. Under News Corporation, Amplify amassed a vast collection of teams, tools, and services. Now under new ownership, the company is divesting assets it considers to be tangential to its focus on curriculum products. First, it spun off a computer science MOOC. Next, Fluence Learning, which offers assessment questions and item banks. Its CEO, Harvey Goodman, shares with EdSearch the roller coaster journey behind starting a company, selling it, and taking it back. A bipartisan group of California lawmakers is calling for a state probe into California virtual schools, an online charter school network operated by the beleaguered conglomerate K-12 Inc. The request comes after a damning two-part San Jose Mercury News investigation into California virtual schools. The investigation alleges that the company misrepresented itself to win tens of millions of dollars in state funding. And now it's time for kitchings. <coughs> Opening a new school entirely on one's own is challenging, but certain organizations like New Schools Venture Fund hope to ease the pain with funding and support. On June 2nd, the nonprofit announced its next New Schools Invent cohort, formerly called the Catapult Program. 14 school designers will receive more than $3 million in grants to open schools this year and in 2017. American and British Academy English, that's ABA English for short, a Barcelona-based company that teaches English through fictional films set in English-speaking places, has raised $13.7 million in a round led by Kennet Partners. The company claims to have 10 million users in 170 countries, and it plans to use the funding for further international expansion, especially in China and Turkey. If you or your child ever forgot your name or where you are, perhaps this UK startup can help you out. Founded in 2012, Lost My Name will print and deliver personalized books that incorporate a reader's name and location into the stories. The company just raised an additional 4 million euros from Berlin-based Project A Ventures after having previously closed a $9 million round last summer. A poem for you. Power School just bought haiku learning for a sum that was not disclosed. Teach for America has inducted five new companies into its fifth group of social innovators, organizations the nonprofit believes, quote, address education inequity in unique ways, end quote. TFA will fund the fledgling nonprofits, all founded by TFA alumni or core members, to the tune of $100,000 and provide them with professional coaching. The five winners are Coop, StoryShares, Literator, Boom, and Elevating Equity. We're asking, what does the Fox buy? Foxconn, the Taiwanese company that claims to be the largest electronics maker in the world, has agreed to acquire smart technologies. Smart is best known for its interactive whiteboards, displays, and clickers designed for classrooms and offices. The sales price, at $4.50 a share, 
is a precipitous drop from where the Calgary-based company stocks were in 2010, when it went public at $166.20 a share. And now here's my interview with Grace Lau of Global Nomads. Just to start, I think for our listeners at home, could you describe Global Nomads' work in your own words? Global Nomads Group is an organization founded in 1998, and our mission has been to foster dialogue and understanding among the world's youth. And what we do is we leverage technology to give young people the opportunities to connect with one another uh, so that they can be more empathetic, aware, and take action um, in their local and global communities. And those two focuses, youth and technology, why are those the primary areas that Global Nomads works in? Sure, I think this actually goes way back to when we started back in 1998. Uh, Our organization was founded by four uh, for alumni from the American University in Paris and through their own set of experiences wanted to um, give young people a meaningful way to um, be connected to the larger global dialogue that was happening. And at that time, distance learning was quite popular in the states, uh, in especially a lot of the rural communities. So we wanted to leverage the technology that was already existing in those classrooms to really uh, be innovative in bringing the world into the, the places where this technology already existed. So, yeah. And what kind of what kind of technology were you leveraging in, in 1998? So back then, we were using video conferencing technology. Um, We would go to different places like Iraq on the brink of the US invasion, uh, Rwanda 10 years after the genocide. So connecting students who were 17 years old uh, then, but seven seven years old when the genocide happened, um, and going to Haiti right after the earthquake. So we would bring our satellite, we would bring just the whole setup, the whole DSL line, and connect students from these locations to the students back home in the U.S. Wow. And um, you said the goal is to make youth more empathetic, more caring, and like for them to take action. What's an example of that? How do you know when Global Nomads has been effective? So in a lot of our programs, um, we the, the academic answer would be, well, we do monitoring and evaluation. We have surveys before and after our programs, and we try to measure the increase in empathy between the students that uh, are participating in our programs. But we also have really great anecdotes from um, students uh, and educators who have said to us over the years, without this program, we wouldn't have known or learned about uh, young people in Afghanistan and Pakistan and vice versa. Um, it, it makes them, it, it makes being a part of our programs has made them really, um, the young people humanize one another. So it's their ability to look beyond the headlines and really see the young people who are just like them living through these various situations. And so we get a lot of 
uh, anecdotes back from uh, educators and students who share that with us. Very cool. And I realized I forgot to ask this at the beginning, but um, for our listeners at home, can you tell us your name and your position at Global Nomads? Sure. My name is Grace Lau, and I am the Director of Virtual Reality at Global Nomads Group. And so, Director of Virtual Reality, can you tell me what kind of initiatives you guys are working on right now that involve virtual reality? Yeah, that's a great question. If you don't mind, I'd love to take maybe just a step back with how we even decided to create a virtual reality department. Um, That's a question that I don't think enough people are asking. Like everywhere, it seems to me there's a rush to virtual reality to say like, well, we're just going to do it. And the question of why is so important. Absolutely. I think that's a question that educators could hugely benefit from. Yeah, I think it was going back to our experience with video conferencing. um, We saw how we saw the possibilities of what that technology could do inside classrooms in terms of bringing young people from different parts of the world together. And one thing I didn't mention is that we often work in places with the largest culture gap. So right now we're doing a lot of work in between uh, classrooms in the US and classrooms in the Middle East, uh, North Africa, Muslim, um, Arab majority worlds. And in when we were first introduced to VR about 18 months ago, we were fascinated, one, by the technology, and two, just immediately sold by its capacity to evoke empathy. And in thinking about the technology of video conferencing back in 1998, back then it was very limited. It, it's not, we do not have the same access as we have with it right now. You could FaceTime, you could Skype, you can Google Hangout. Everyone, anywhere can be doing that. And uh, I think VR is um, in sort of in parallel, similar space right now. Not everyone has access to it, but once you try it, you are a believer. Um, and so that really got us excited about um, the potential of VR. We worked with Nani de la Pena and her emblematic group. Uh, We had brought together students in South LA to go through Project Syria, which was a CGI recreated experience that she did, uh, which brought these students from LA to the corner of Aleppo, Syria, where they were able to experience being in a bombing themselves. Um, and then took them through a refugee camp. And we then connected students, those students in LA, to their Syrian peers who are now living in Jordan. And so we were able to really see the, the impact of blending these two technologies and the empathy factor uh, is the crux of our work. And with VR, it virtually transports you into another place. Um, and really gives you a firsthand understanding and firsthand perspective of this virtual world that you're in. And so uh, we, after that experience, knew we needed to do more. So we launched the Virtual Reality Lab this past January. And in the Global Nomads Group's VR Lab, we are housing a number of different 
VR experiences and attaching curriculum to these VR experiences so that educators will know how to use um, VR films in their classrooms. And we're leaning on a lot of the same pedagogy that we've created from the last 18 years with our other technology-based programming uh, and infusing it into this VR space. And at the, at the beginning of this, when you first tried a piece of VR, why, why were you sold on its capacity for empathy? What was the, what aspect of it or what emotion did you have that you were thinking, oh, this is it. This is what we've been looking for. So I don't think we even knew we were looking for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I think as, as it was introduced to us, when you put that headset on, you instantly find yourself disconnected to the real world around you, and you find yourself in this space. Um, one of the early VR pieces that I have personally experienced was Clouds Over Cedra, uh, created by Verse. Um, and Gabo's team. And when I had put that on, um, really felt connected to our the personal experiences that I had encountered in my different times in the Middle East. But I'm not answering your question. So <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I know people in VR say this a lot and I'm already making this cliche statement. Once you put on the headset, you will believe in its possibilities. I think one of the powers of VR is you bring your own set of experiences and emotions um, into this virtual space. And when you're able to connect to what's happening in this virtual space through your own set of experiences, that's creating empathy right there. That's being able to literally walk in someone else's shoes and really um, connect with the other world. Sounds a little bizarre, but I think that's what's really one of the biggest the factors that's sold us. That's amazing. And on the... On a more specific level, can you tell me about the curriculum that you guys are attaching to these um, films that you guys are releasing? And then I'd love to talk about what the content of the films is. But first, how is the curriculum playing a role? How are you guys attempting to coach educators into integrating VR into their lessons on empathy, presumably social emotional learning, things like that? I think the curriculum is the main... uh, just like all of our other programs, the curriculum is key. You can give educators a VR experience, um, but they don't necessarily, uh, not to get, let me back up. Educators are amazing and resourceful. If you gave them the experience, they can certainly figure out how to make it work in their classrooms. But we know that teachers are busy. We know they're strapped for time. We know that this is probably a supplemental enhancement to what they're already teaching in their classrooms. So how can we make this easier for them? 
by curating their experience through a curriculum that aligns to the different standards that can then walk them through the process. So um, an example of our curriculum is um, a really setting context for the thematic, um, for the theme of the VR. For example, we are creating our own original uh, VR experience right now called One World's Many Stories. That's so and, cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. We followed a student in Jordan, we followed a student in Eastern Kentucky, and we followed a student in uh, just right here, urban New York City. And we wanted young people to show us a glimpse of their lives uh, and really, how does where you come from influence who you are and with this specific VR, we really wanted um, students to develop capacity for understanding multiple perspectives uh, to develop, develop the capacity for cross-cultural awareness and learning so a lot of the activities that we've created around the VR experience are activities that set the context for understanding the other, set the context for understanding your own community. And then you put on the goggles, you put on, you go through the experience and we have some reflection and debriefing activities to round out the experience that eventually then hits the learning objectives and outcomes that we've created um, at the beginning. Mm. And what are the learning objectives and outcomes of VR specifically? I think with VR specifically, uh, empathy is a huge one. How do we, uh, how do I be, how am I more connected to uh, the other? How does my uh, knowledge change now that I've walked in someone else's shoes? How does my attitude change um, for the other? Um, and what, what kind of action do I wanna take as a result? Some VR experiences are more um, focused on global crises, um, and some are, I mean, there's all sorts of VR out there. Right. Uh, but we're looking to curate um, VR experiences. Uh, in, in our VR lab, I'm looking to create a repository of various VR experiences that resonate with the themes of G&G's work at large, cross-cultural awareness, uh, global issues um, and just dialogue and understanding of young people as the other. And you talked about this film that you guys are creating about students across different cultures in various different places. How does that film differ from the one the New York Times released about refugee children? What do you see as the biggest kind of differentiator um, I have some things in mind, and I wonder if they're the same. Yeah. Um, our film really focuses on the idea of uh, youth identity. So uh, when we followed um, Abdel in Jordan or JB in Kentucky or Rihanna here in New York, we wanted them to give us a sense of what their daily life is like. So beyond what we might see from the headlines of these places, we have our assumptions. If I say Kentucky, we could have our assumptions. If I say, let's go to Jordan, let's go to New York. 
um, we really wanted the young people to give us a window into their lives from their own voice. And so, I, I would say the differentiation is um, really more youth-driven dialogue hmm. um, through the VR, where I think um, the, the, the New York Times pieces, which is amazing, is um, through the lens of journalism and really wanting to bring awareness to certain topics and issues for the VR viewer. Right, I see. And it also seems to me like that one, like the New York Times is profiling a crisis, whereas this, you're looking to profile like the everyday and kind of the, the identity, like you said, the identity of these kids, not just one facet being that they are refugees. Um, backing up a little bit to another thing you said, like you thought a lot about this question, maybe, should we use VR? Should we not? Um, when would be an instance when you would tell someone considering using VR, actually, don't do this? Oh, that's a good question. I can give maybe a, a cop-out answer. <laughs> Any answer. I, I think right now um, they say kids 13 and under shouldn't be using VR. <laughs> Just because it does create nausea. My, I'm, not a, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, but I think <laughs> there's some research there that uh, they're, they're limiting it to 13 and older right now. Fair enough. So 13 and under should not. Sorry. (laughs) Well, so how does that that play into your work? I mean, that's a funny, like, cop-out answer, but you guys work a lot with kids who are 13 and under. So how do you navigate that? Like, are they in the films? I'm sorry. Are they in the films but not watching them? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Um, so we work with primarily middle school and high school students. Oh, I see. Okay. We'll be really trying to release all of, a lot of this work uh, with our high school audience and um, upper level middle schoolers. Okay. So, well, I, even going on, have you ever worked with kids 13 and under who wouldn't either be able to watch the films or be in them yeah we've we've showed cloud we've showed um several vr experiences to uh students that are 13 and younger um i don't know if that's very responsible to say that (laughs) 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 um no but, but we have shown it and it's actually really amazing when you watch um how they interact with the technology it almost is less clunky than moving through the experience with an adult. Maybe they're, they're digital natives growing up in a world where picking up a device is just second nature. Um, there's certainly been some interesting observations of observing the, the younger students, um, just putting on the headpiece. 
uh, putting on the, and, and watching different experiences and seeing how it resonates with them. And do you yourself get nauseous when you watch VR? I know I love watching these films, but I can't watch more than like one of them at a time. Yeah, definitely. I think I have a seven to eight minute threshold. Yeah. And that's a really max. I'm talking about. Yeah, it's got to be a good film. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what do you along with that? What do you think are the limitations of this technology? Can it? I mean, both technologically, because you guys are making your own film, but also empathetically, educationally, where where does it not do the trick? Oh, I think right now the limitation is that the technology is new. Um, I think the possibilities of where it can go will only increase from here. But I think with the limitations, um, as I'm thinking about the different content that we're creating, are educators asking for VR technology in their classrooms? Are district administrators purchasing this hardware? Do they see it as a valuable tool within their, uh, that can be be used within their uh, classroom communities and student populations? Um, I think technology is always a barrier. We've been working with technology for the last 18 years. but I also think it's it's the burden is on us to really show the proof points for this technology working. I, I think that there's a big reason why we're creating curriculum around these VR experiences because we do want to tie it to student learning outcomes so that we can go back to educators and teachers and let them know that this technology does work. Uh, we know you have limited time, you, you have limited resources, but uh, we are taking on that, that sort of proof of burden to really um, show, show the impact of how VR can be an effective tool in the classroom, uh, not only for empathy, but student learning outcomes. And tell me more about that effort of you guys de- trying to demonstrate this. How, how does that, what does that really look like? Yeah, I think uh, right now in-house we have uh, our own monitoring and evaluation department. And so we're looking at various indicators uh, to uh, share with us uh, to to, um, help us identify the measurements for success. Um, Looking at um, very small logistical things. is the timing of the curriculum too long or too short? Uh, <laughs> is um, here, Here's maybe a real limitation or barrier. Right now, with some of our classrooms that we're piloting this stuff with, we're giving them five cardboards per classroom. Uh, what is that like if we set up different stations for uh, knowing that a classroom will only have five cardboards? What is the difference if we give a classroom 30 cardboards and they all go through the experience at the same time? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're also testing the pedagogy um, of how do we best roll out VR uh, in the classroom? 
Yeah, it seems like the implementation is a huge barrier to this technology. Like it's, there's so much excitement, but then that is a steep, steep learning curve that no one's quite figured out. Do you see, do you see other organizations or school districts doing this in a way where you say that is imitatable? That is what we aspire to. Um, I'm sure there are. Um, I know that uh, we're all the field is new and we're all learning together. I know that Google Expeditions are doing a lot of great work in terms of getting the technology out there and testing it with the classrooms that they're with. We're relying on our experience of integrating new technologies in classrooms over the last almost two decades when we're integrating this VR work into, uh, when we're pushing out this VR work into classrooms now. And I think a huge component also is the professional development component. Mm -hmm. So how do we give educators the training that they need to feel comfortable with new technology, uh, to feel excited about the new technology? Uh, so that's a that's a part of the work that we're doing here as well. Uh, when you're working with our GNG VR curriculum, you're not just getting the experience, but there's also going to be a little bit of um, onboarding and, and training that we want to give you to make sure you feel comfortable. So there's going to be a little bit of testing there as well on, on how to do that effectively. And kind of drawing it back to you yourself, how did you come to be in the position of a director of virtual reality? That's a great question. <laughs> um, so I've actually been with the organization for almost eight years now. I started as the program manager, senior program manager, and I recently transitioned out of my role as the deputy director. And so being, I think, with the organization for such a long time, uh, I really have a good understanding of the work that we do in, again, building curriculum, integrating technology into really um, challenging places, as well as uh, really understanding the ethos of the work that we're trying to do. Um, fostering dialogue and understanding among the world's youth. How do we really close in and bridge the culture gap that exists among the world, among the communities today, uh, I think, right now this world um I, I think we live in a very polarized uh world if you will um but at the same time technology has given us the opportunity to be uh, so connected so how do we leverage this technology and curate really meaningful conversations between people to to bridge the gap that we we that exists between us again a very long-winded non-answer <laughs> no absolutely um it gets in i mean that got into like your motivations for being the de the director of virtual reality which is like just as real as the roles that you occupied beforehand and i think you know the biggest thing for me really has been just giving young people voice uh, we've seen even in our virtual exchange programs um, that when students are connected 
to their peers in another part of their world and they are able to introduce themselves and their communities and have uh, someone from halfway across the world know their name, there is a huge uh, sense of validation in terms of this young person's uh, identity and existence. And And can you give me an example of one of those anecdotes that it seems like they have moved you a great deal? Yeah, maybe I can give an example with our Reimagine Syria program where we blended virtual um, reality and virtual exchange. The project that I shared with you uh, mm-hmm. earlier um, in this conversation. So we had connected, we had brought students in LA to experience Project Syria. The, a VR immersion where they found themselves on the corner of Syria, Aleppo, Syria, connected those students with Syrian refugees in Jordan. And between all of those, our curriculum had asked students from both of these communities to look at the different conflicts that were happening in their community and to really examine what is happening in your community right now and why. And then when they met for the video conference exchange, the virtual exchange, they shared about their conflicts uh, with one another um, during that time. And so the students in LA started sharing about their, um, the the challenge of being in a food desert. Mm -hmm. So here we are in LA, but we have really crappy access to really good, high quality food. We have fast food, we have this, we have that. And the Syrian students just did not understand that. They're like, what do you mean? Um, My uncle grows a garden um, and we have our own little patches of parsley and mint or, or whatnot, right? And the students in LA were so inspired by these Syrian refugees, or I'm sorry, by these Syrian students that they looked back within their four walls of their community in LA, found two little plots of land and started their own school garden, community garden, because they were inspired by their Syrian peers who were in a very, very different situation than them. And so for me, that was really incredible just seeing um, that exchange. And I think for the for the, the Syrian students too, it gives them a sense of, we are not just the other, you know, we are a part of this dialogue. So how can, so, so thinking back to this technology, I think it could be uh, a really important equalizer um, to the different, it, technology is a great equalizer, I think, when curated. <laughs> and used (laughs) meaningfully yeah that's a great story um well those are all those are all the questions that i have or that i have had kind of thought of beforehand are there any topics that you think we've really missed out on or aren't talking about that are really important um i don't think so, um, let, me, let me see what else 
I'm looking at my slide to see what I might have prepared. Mm -hmm. um, one, maybe one, one thing I can share about, about the power of this technology is, have you seen the cone of experience? Um, I don't know what you call it. I, I want to say slide, but cone of experience um model before i don't think so Where i don't know what that is so if, if this is a cone um people generally at the very very top it's the little peak and then at the bottom it's obviously the big base so uh, people generally remember 10 percent of what they read hmm. and learners are then able to define and describe and explain what they've just read. And it moves down all the way to the bottom that 90% of people remember 90% of what they do when they perform a task, either through a model or simulate a real experience, or if they go through a direct purposeful experience. Mm -hmm. And on the other end of that, when they are able to really go through a simulation, learners are able to analyze and design and create and evaluate and i think all of these link back to those high order thinking skills and critical thinking skills that very much resonate in this 21st century learner's language and so i think vr also has a lot of um just really concrete learning possibilities so you think that vr will kind of occupy that base space of being on the same level as a task rather than a movie. Yeah, I, I do. I do. And why is that? Can you tell me a little bit more? I think when you're watching a film, um, it's a passive experience. Um, you're, you're digesting the information. You're digesting um certainly um the 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 messages that the filmmaker is conveying to you and film is powerful don't get me wrong it's a very powerful medium um but i think when you are virtually immersed in an experience and you're suddenly you suddenly find yourself in the center of what you're watching or experiencing it becomes more real to you and i think that personalization does create um i think it maybe more more questions and more reflection hmm. um, but yeah. pushing back on that a little bit i mean there's no there are VR experiences with haptic interfaces where you can move around and touch things like in a video, obviously in a video game rather than a real world. Just, I, I'm not quite sure that just the moving of your head to like look around is the, is quite the same. I, mm -hmm. yeah, I'd wonder how you'd respond to that. Yeah. I think A lot of the, I think the VR that will be most accessible for educators in the near term is 
the the moving around it's not the oculus rift or the htc vive right um, those hardwares within the classroom probably are much further down the line um but when you when you uh. see a student put on the goggles and they find themselves in the middle of a refugee camp in Jordan. The same, you, you, you hear the same responses every time. Like, wow, it's like I was there. I -hmm. felt like I was there. Um, and I think that 360 immersion just gives, it, it, it does give that, that sense of presence. Um, yeah. Fair. That's totally, I think, I mean, I think you're right. There's a reason everyone is so fascinated. Um, well, awesome. I mean, that's everything I've got for the moment. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah. Thanks Blake for setting this up and, uh, really we're looking forward to unveiling our, uh, a lab in, you know, continuing to put stuff in there and unveiling it. Yeah. Uh, when does it, when's the release date? So it's in it's a soft launch right now, but uh, this upcoming fall, twenty sixteen, we'll be doing an official launch of the G and G Virtual Reality Lab. That's awesome! And what can we? Oh, sorry. What can we expect? Um, as I mentioned, this one experience that I already I just shared about one world's many stories, mm-hmm. uh, looking at multiple perspectives um, of young uh, through the lives of young people. Um, and we might have a, cu- and we're going to have a couple of genocide uh, programming that we're doing, uh, and I'll leave it at that. I can't wait. The anticipation. Um, <laughs> well, thanks so much, Grace. Thank you so much, Blake. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you feel more informed about this nebulous new medium, virtual reality. Maybe try it for yourself and tell me how you feel. All you need is a smartphone, a headset that you can buy online, or I got mine at Target, and a good app to start with. And that, I use Verse, spelled V-R-S-E. I'd love to hear what you think, so you can tweet at me at BlakersDozen. And please don't forget, before you go, if you haven't taken our podcast survey, I'd really appreciate it if you did. Go to bit.ly.edsurgeonair. That's B-I-T ly slash edsurge on air like the name of the show thanks for listening this is the edsurge podcast